Good morning, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, and I'll, I'll be the host uh, for our presentation uh, today. And in fact, today is Sunday, September 24th, 2023. Um, I'll give you the share ID numbers for Friday, September 22nd for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. On Friday, that number is 20,668. That's 20668. For the 10 a.m. meeting on Friday, that number is 20,669. This morning, A Vision for You presents Seeking God. So our speaker is going to share her story of personal transformation as the result of the 12 steps. Um, she's going to go into to more detail on a few of the steps along the way, along her journey, and she'll highlight the necessity of seeking God as a solution to compulsive overeating. You know, in the in the um, in the first forward of the the book Alcoholics Anonymous that we we lovingly refer to as the Big Book, um, <clears throat> we're introduced to the purpose of the text. It says to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. <clears throat> They're not even going to be vague about it. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I arrived to the rooms of OA for quite a long time, I, I thought this book was about, you know, a lot of different things. I thought it was about me staying sober through discipline, uh, willpower. Um, so, you know, certainly surrounding myself with others in OA who, who appeared to be doing the, you know, the same sort of thing. Uh, but thank goodness there were good teachers who pointed me in the right direction. Um, and, and, and these recovered fellows, they, they, they were always there, really. But when I reflect back on that time, you know, these voices of those recovered folks were, you know, for me and my experience, were, were kind of drowned out at that time by a sort of a herd of, of well-intentioned, very nurturing, loving practitioners of self-will. And I was certainly one of them. I was leading the charge. And, you know, but eventually the message of the big book uh, broke through, uh, thank goodness. Um, and, and this was to become sort of the true north for me. And, and here was the, the crucial information that I had been missing. You know, and, and really how ironic that um, – the main object of the spiritual program of action found in the steps was, was by no means camouflaged. It was not hidden at all. In fact, there it was on page 45. Um, it says its main object, you know, the book's main object, is to help the alcoholic find a power greater than himself, greater than herself, that will solve our problem. You know, but for me, here, here was the catch. <laughs> it's almost a catch, right? You know, for as long as I perceived that my problem was food rather than a disconnection from power, well, I, I was going to continually seek roads to merely stop eating rather than roads to, to seek God. And, you know, when we're brought back to the roadmap, the blueprint uh, for recovery that's found in this text, and I really do view it as a text, um, you know, the pathway becomes clear. And repeatedly practicing these steps transforms us by, well, one of the things it does is it lets the sunlight of the spirit penetrate our fears. It penetrates our resentments and all the defects of character that really cloud our thinking. And, and, and why is this important? Well, to the extent that my thinking is clouded 
that my thinking is maladjusted, regardless of my good intentions, well, my behavior is going to follow suit. And I, I have to remember that all action is first born in thought. And when the step work allows my, my thinking to change, my, my heart to change, this sort of revolutionary change, then it makes perfect sense that my behavior naturally changes. And from a self, you know, self-centered alignment to a God-centered alignment. Uh, and not, not generally for me or what I've seen in one moment in time, like, like flipping on a light switch. Could, I suppose it could happen for some, like Bill, like Bill Wilson. But rather, for me, ever evolving, always unfolding, as long as I'm willing to practice these steps for a lifetime for me. And, and if I were to describe the big book in one word, one word only, I, I think that word would be change. You know, the big book tells us we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. I certainly knew, you know, that, that alternative pretty well, <laughs> very well. But the other, the other uh, alternative was to accept spiritual help through the implementation of these steps that would come about. That's how I was going to accept spiritual help. And this we did, they said because we honestly wanted to, and we were willing to make the effort. Now, rest assured, freedom is not free. I've heard that again and again, and it sticks to me like Velcro. Freedom is not free. A price has to be paid. And door number one, I like the imagery of door number one with the big sign across it marked recovery. Well, that's where I seek. Well, there's door number two, big sign on it marked disease. That's where I sink. Seek or sink, <laughs> my choice. So joining us this morning to share her personal story of a, a, a spiritual transformation as the result of the implementation of the steps is Katie B. from New York. And Katie is a, a very dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous. She's committed to the practice and, uh, of this way of life and carrying, carrying a message of hope to others. So with that, please join me in welcoming Katie B. to the line this morning. Good morning, Katie. Hi. Good morning, Larry. Can you hear me okay? Good morning. Yeah, you're coming through great. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Larry. Um, so nice to hear you this morning. And all right, here we go. Um, <laughs> my name is Katie B. Um, I am humbled uh, and really excited to be sharing uh, with you all this morning. And um, you know, one of the things that Larry said just hit me, you know, I, if I misquote you, forgive me, but it, this journey, this change, this shift for me has been from self-centered alignment to God-centered alignment. And, um, you know, self-centered alignment was my problem. And also, as was just shared, you know, I thought food was my problem. <laughs> I thought... I thought a lot of things were my problem. I didn't see it as myself and I, um, until I did. And, and now I, I see that the answer is God. And it was an answer I never wanted and never thought I wanted and never imagined. And to think that I was going to one day get to share um, on a line with other compulsive overeaters about God 
I mean, it was the farthest thing from my mind. And, and now it feels like a, a blessing beyond blessing and a miracle beyond miracle. So I'm really glad to be here. Um, huh. Okay. So I just also want to start by having humility and gratitude um, for everybody here. And I want to just remember that this is a we program and I want to express my gratitude for every single person in OA and on Vision and my fellows because, because of my fellows, because of people taking the time to share with me um, and guide me to God, to the 12 steps, through the big books, you know, I would not be living in recovery today and I am incredibly grateful for that. And I remember <laughs> maybe it was like 2016 in one of my many, many, many stints in OA. I had a sponsor at the time and she was like, oh, you know, there's this, there's this phone meeting. It's called A Vision for You. And she told me a little bit about it. And at the time, I sort of smiled and nodded. And, and in my head, I sort of thought, lady, I'm not waking up at 7 in the morning to <laughs> to talk about the big book. I just want to be thin. I don't care. I don't want to do that. I mean, and that was my, <laughs> that was my first uh, entree into vision for you was like, nah, -uh, I'm not doing that. Um, and that was sort of how I was with lots of aspects of this program. You know, like I wasn't willing till I was willing and I wasn't ready till I was ready. Um, so I, I was just reminded of that this morning. And now I, I'm very grateful to, to a vision for you and I and and just the strength of the recovery and the message and the fellowship that's available so uh, just a big difference another change I guess right um, so again um, I am a recovered I identify as a recovered compulsive overeater and that was another thing that used to really annoy me when people would say they were recovered in the rooms like I would just do this huge internal eye roll thinking like how dare you how dare you say you're recovered? If you had what I have, if you lived like I lived, there's no way you could ever recover. Because I, I was suffering from this torture. And I just thought they were lying or they weren't as bad as I was. Like I just didn't think it was possible. Um, and what I understand being recovered to mean to me today is, um, you know, and also, by the way, I'm going to butcher lots of stuff in the big book. I apologize if I misquote it. But my understanding is, you know, it says we of Alcoholics Anonymous have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that's where I was when I came in on my knees this last time. You know, um, I, I did feel hopeless. I, I, I just, I felt, I had felt hopeless for a long time. You know, I kept trying to figure it out, kept trying to fight, um, but I was really out of ideas. And uh, for today, I have recovered through God's grace. I, I don't take any of the credit. Um, I attribute it to um, God, uh, to uh, entire abstinence, um, and to taking the 12 steps as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, whew, sorry. <laughs> So I, I thought I would entitle this share as Seeking God um, because Seeking God is the answer. Um, and I, 
had no interest in God for a really long time. I just didn't even really think about God. I'll talk more about that. Um, but I, I think that even when I was in the throes of my addiction, that's what I've been doing all along. You know, I, I once heard someone say in a meeting that, you know, this disease, addiction, is a low-level search for God. And something about that just hit me. And I, and I sort of realized that I've been seeking God in all the wrong places for so much of my life. Um, and that sort of defined my life before recovery. And now living in recovery, I, I also seek God. Um, but I seek God in a, in a right-sized way, um, trusting God and, and knowing that I'm not God, which I hopefully will be able to talk more about also. Um, so I'll, I'll briefly talk about what it was like. You know, I guess I was thinking about what my life was like, uh, for the decades before I came into recovery. And if I forgot to say this, um, with God's grace, I will be celebrating four years of uh, in recovery uh, this coming November, which is a huge miracle. Um, so when I think back on all of the years before that, you know, I, life was just full of tomorrows and Sundays. You know, my diet starts tomorrow. Oh, I started the diet today and I messed it up by 11 a.m. Okay, now it starts tomorrow. All right, it starts in January. All right, it starts after the holidays. All right, it starts before bathing suit season. You know, and um, and everything was about when life would be better. You know, life will be better when I'm thin. Life will be better when I fit into that outfit. Um, nothing was satisfying. You know, even moments of true joy in my life, truly momentous and joyous occasions that were really worthy of celebrating. I felt happy um, on some level, and there was also this, like, underlying, like, underbelly of yuck. Like, it's not good enough because I'm enjoying it while, uh, but, uh, but I'm too fat. <laughs> or I look ugly in the pictures, or... You know, I, I just, or if I had hit some goal weight for the celebration, then it was just this fear because I knew I wouldn't be able to hold on to that and I would start going right back up the scale. And that was really what my whole life was about. It was about controlling food or thinking about food or succumbing to food, obsessing about diets, obsessing about weight. Um, what will I fit into? What will people think of me? What will you think of me? You know, that was the underlying chatter, the noise in my head. Um, and really, when I look back on my life now, it's a miracle that I could accomplish anything else <laughs> because I just had this constant static um, in my mind um, and a lot of comparisons, you know. Um, I remember one time uh, I was on, on the thin side of things, and I'll just briefly share. So you know, in terms of weight, I found myself to be somebody who, starting in my teens and up until my late 30s when I came into the rooms uh, this time around, um, I, uh, you know, I lost 10 pounds, I gained 20. I lost 20, I gained 30. I lost 30, I gained 40, and so on. And it just kept creeping up and up and up, 50 pounds, you know, just more and more. Um, but talking about comparing myself, I have this memory. I was I was a young woman at the time, and I was I was very thin, probably unhealth unhealthily 
so at the time. And I was in New York City and I was on a city bus. And I remember staring out the window of this bus and I wasn't taking in the sights and I wasn't enjoying the scenery and it was nothing. I was looking at each woman that passed by and thinking to myself, I'm thinner than her. I'm fatter than her. I'm fatter than her. I'm thinner than her. <laughs> and I just have this memory like it was just like torturous and sick, just always comparing myself, comparing myself and um, judging myself and judging others. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think on the outside I did seem reasonably happy, but on the inside I really hated myself. Um, and I hated all you too. I just kind of couldn't stand it. I just couldn't stand it. I was pretty miserable. Um, and I, I think I mentioned I almost never thought about God. I would occasionally beg for something I really needed or feel like I was being punished for something. Um, but, you know, I realize now I was always looking for God. You know, when, when I was younger, uh, as I was reflecting on, you know, my life, I realized I kind of did everything, you know, in this addictive or alcoholic fashion. You know, I, I sought out friends alcoholically to, to sort of fill my need, whatever that hole was, you know. I, uh, I, I had boyfriends alcoholically. I tried smoking. I tried drinking. I really did anything I could get my hands on alcoholically, meaning I overdid it. I did it obsessively. I did it compulsively. And I can see now that I did it in an effort to fill this hole in my soul. I didn't know it was a hole in my soul. Um, but it was there because I was missing God, you know, and not that God wasn't always there, um, because now I can see all of the times that God has a hundred percent been there. Um, but I just wasn't seeking God and I wasn't acknowledging God. Um, and, what else? I just want to talk very briefly again about what it used to be like. You know, I used to joke with, you know, if a doctor had told me I had to stop drinking, I could give up beer, right, and never have another thought about it. But if a doctor told me I had to give up chocolate, that I would rather die. Like, I would joke about that with people. Um, but I kind of meant it. Like, I, I guess I'd have to die. <laughs> like, it wasn't a joke. You know, I was I was always sort of aware on some level that I was really hooked on certain foods and ingredients, but I just couldn't imagine life without it. Um, and at the same time, I didn't understand yet how deeply my use of that substance was destroying my life. Um, it wasn't the substance itself. It was actually the symptom of my problem, the actual problem, which was me. <laughs> but, but in the, you know, in the moment, I was fixated on food. Um, so what else do I want to talk about in this part? Forgive me, I'm just trying to. So one other thought about what it was like, you know, early in my recovery, I heard someone talk about, like, imagine, like, a, I don't remember exactly what it was, like train cars full of food, like never being enough. And that really resonated with me, too. You know, like I actually could envision like a whole car, you know, a whole train, car after car after car filled with all the foods, all the foods from all the different restaurants and all the different countries and all the sweet foods and all the sweet savory foods. And if I'm being honest, when I was in my disease and if I chose to eat one of those things right now, you know, in that way, eat alcoholically right now, 
there would never be enough. It could be 20 train cars full. It could be 200 train cars full. And, and the problem is it would never, never be enough. Um, and that one compulsive bite was one bite too many. Like that's sort of, I don't know if that's helpful visually, but that was sort of how I felt. Um, so what happened to me? Um, well, a, a major thing that happened to me that I want to share about is that in 2018, I suffered from heart failure. I, um, a portion of my heart actually stopped working. And I went to, I was taken to one hospital and then I was transferred to um, a renowned hospital with like a renowned heart failure unit. Um, miraculously, my heart started working again. Um, I had spent about a week in the hospital and the doctor came and, and talked to me and said, listen, what you have, you can live with. What you have, you can, you can live a long, healthy life, but you're going to have to make some changes. You're going to have to lose some weight. Uh, you're going to have to refrain from eating certain foods because actually certain foods exacerbate my, my condition. And I said, of course, of course I'm going to do this. And I meant it. I meant it. I meant it. Um, and I ordered uh, a treadmill from my hospital bed. And, I, you know, I, I was going to do it this time. This was the time that things were going to change. Um, and then later on, uh, I remember uh, some family came to visit me and brought me some some of my favorite foods, and I nibbled on them in front of them, and then they had left, you know, when visiting hours were over. And when everybody was gone, in my hospital bed, I went back to what they had brought me, and I started binging on it from my hospital bed after the doctor told me I shouldn't eat that anymore. And the worst part is, Visiting hours were over, but a family member somehow was allowed to like come back in and visit with me and caught me. I was binging in my hospital bed and I was caught and I was so mortified. Um, and, uh, but you know, I left that hospital and I, I did have that strong resolve and I gained another 45 pounds. Um, I couldn't do it. You know, and I realize now, like, there was no amount of my willpower that was going to do this. Uh, the fear that my children were going to grow up without their mom was not enough. The shame of being caught binging in my hospital bed, the shame of being fat, you know, it wasn't enough. Um, and I remember once I went after that, I still couldn't do it. <laughs> And finally, I went to a therapist, and she was an eating disorder specialist, and I'm sure she was an absolutely lovely woman. And I remember, you know, so no judgment there, but I, I remember telling her what was going on with me and food. And she looked at me, and she was like, oh, this is easy. I got this. This is an easy fix. You can eat anything you want. When she was, and as she was saying it, I was like, you're kidding me, right? Like, I, I smiled. And I nodded, and she said, you can eat anything you want, just in moderation. <laughs> you can have a little bit. And as she said it, and I smiled, and I nodded, the wave came over me like, Katie, you're going back to OA. Because if, if you don't understand what we have, you don't understand what we have. And it's, so I had to come back to OA. And, uh, and, I, and I finally got, and I finally came back. And I had gone over the years to OA, 
and I would get the food plan, and I would lose some weight, and I would feel really good, um, and I, that was all I would do. I would just diet there, and uh, I wasn't able to maintain it, and I would gain the weight back, and I would be too embarrassed to go back to the meetings because I was a failure. That's how I saw myself, and I would run right back out of the rooms. Um, so I spent, you know, I think my first OA meeting, I was probably 16, um, and then I, I was out and in for many, 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 many years. So this time uh, in OA, the first thing I had to do was read the book. <laughs> um, I And I had to start with the doctor's opinion. And I won't go too deeply into the doctor's opinion right now, um, but I had to read it. I had always skipped ahead of it. I was like, this isn't even a chapter. I'm not reading this thing. And when I finally read it and, and talked about it with my sponsor, I, you know, I realized, like, I have an allergy, and it isn't my fault, um, but I am hopeless if my goal in this program is to eat my alcoholic foods in moderation. Because um, I can never use my alcoholic foods in any form at all if I want to be living in recovery. Um, and you know, it says that we're restless, irritable, and discontented unless we experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes from our substance, right? Um, but it stopped working, and I was just always restless, irritable, and discontented. And um, and I hated myself on top of it for, for going back to my substance. And now I will tell you that I still feel restless, irritable, and discontented a lot in life, honestly. not Okay, maybe not a lot. I feel it. But the miracle is, it doesn't kill me, and I don't need to do anything about it. I can just feel it, which has been like a real growing up process for me. Um, and as I moved through the doctor's opinion, and I embraced it, and I embraced that I am a compulsive overeater, and and that's okay, and I can live a wonderful and free life within the parameters of that. Um, it just, it made all the difference. Um, and, you know, so step one, right? We admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. I basically spent 39 years in step one, uh, taking step one. You know, if, if I think back on all the ways that I had tried to exert my power over food and weight and diets, um, and my obsessive food thoughts, you know, I, I had to come to the realization that I can't even manage a cookie, right? <laughs> like, I need to be that honest um, in my step one. Um, and, and it's really helpful when I understand the doctor's opinion and I, and I believe that it applies to me. Um, and then as I, I moved on, you know, to step two, right? We come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, I honestly couldn't stop, um, or if I did stop, I couldn't stay stopped, and I was insane. And I had but two choices, you know, doomed to live an to die an alcoholic death, or live on God's terms, right? I live on this spiritual basis, um, and. That one, you know, God is a hard thing to talk about because God is so big and I almost feel like I can't do God justice by talking about God. Um, you know, in the beginning, taking step two, 
I don't know how my step two looked originally, but I sort of started to realize that, like, I can't be the be-all and end-all. I can't. This can't be it that the world stops at me because we're in a lot of trouble if the world stops at me, you know. And um, and so I had to really ask myself, like, is there anything beyond you, Katie? Is there anything beyond you? And And I came to the conclusion that, yeah, I think so. And then if there is, if there is a God, and then the book asks me, right, God is everything or God is nothing, right? God is or is not. And what is my choice to be? And if I say God isn't, is not, then we're in a lot of trouble. Um, like if I really think on any serious level that there's nothing in this entire universe that's greater than me, um, you know, I'm the person, and I say this not with humiliation, but with humility, right? I can't stay on a diet longer than Monday morning. I can't control my emotional nature. You know, if somebody cuts me off in a line, like, do I really think that I'm the most powerful force in the universe? Like, do I really think the buck stops with me? Um, and so just kind of going with that was the beginning. Like, yes, there is a God, and I am not God, was a, a huge deal in terms of freedom for me. And, and once I kind of realized there is a God, and I am not God, like full stop, I became willing to continue on with the steps. Um, and that's sort of like my life's work now is trusting and relying upon God. Um, and I, I don't have like a recipe for it. It definitely starts with just knowing that there is God and I am not God. Um, I'll also say that <clears throat> there's such a freedom in being powerless. Powerless over food, <laughs> powerless over the world, powerless over you, powerless over outcomes. <clears throat> Excuse me, because I don't have to carry the weight of the world. You know, God can do that. Uh, when I hand it over to God and I don't have to carry it anymore, I have freedom. You know, I also have freedom within the boundaries of a food plan. I, I used to think the idea of any kind of boundary was the opposite of free. Um, you know, I can eat whatever I want. That's freedom. Well, I will tell you, I lived most of my life eating whatever I wanted, and I was in bondage. It was not true freedom. Um, so what is it like now? Uh, so I was thinking about this also. First of all, my life is a miracle. From the most basic stuff, like this morning I woke up and I didn't hate myself. Like, I don't want to ever take that for granted. I've been living in this miracle and experiencing this for almost four years, and I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that I used to wake up hating myself. I mean, that's so significant, you know? And uh, And I don't anymore. And... I wake up abstinent. 
And, I, and that's so significant too. A true miracle. And not only that, but I'm not obsessed with food or compulsive about my weight or obsessed with my weight or diets or my appearance. God has taken that from me. Um, and that was really only the beginning. Like if, if when I first came into these rooms, I just wanted to be thin. I really did. And I wanted to eat whatever I wanted, you know. And that's another example of how, like, I was playing God this whole time, right? Like, I want, I would like to eat 20,000 calories a day and be thin. <laughs> like, like, that's so dishonest. That's not, like, that, that's, that's not reality. And yet that's how I wanted the world to be. Um, but anyway, um, like, the, the, the miracles of this program, like, that's just the beginning that, like, I wake up and I don't hate myself. That's just the beginning that I think I mentioned I can feel restless, irritable, and discontented. Sure, I can. But that food does not even come into the equation anymore. I don't seek that. You know, now when I feel irritable, restless, discontent, discontented, I seek God. And I guess this might be a good time to talk about that. You know, like, this has been a real growing up process for me. Like, I I didn't want to feel pain. I didn't want to feel discomfort. And so I would seek out substances um, to numb that out, to to feel, like, fuzzy on the outside. I didn't want to feel feelings. Um, and this program, you know, and Seeking God has not been about, like, I seek God and God, you know, waves a magic wand and all my feelings go away and I feel great. It's It's been learning that I can just feel sad and I can ask God to be with me in my sadness. You know, I, uh, in early on <clears throat> in this, in my recovery, I had a close family member pass away. And I remember going to God every night and I was like, God, take this from me. God, take this from me. Like that was my attempt at like, you know, a six and seven. I was like, God, take this from me. God, take this from me. Um, and I, and I, and I began to realize like, no, 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 Katie. When I ask God to take my character defects, my, you know, it doesn't mean that God's going to take my sadness or my sorrow. Um, and so it, it trans, you know, it transitioned into like, God, I don't like this. You know, God, be here with me. Um, God, let me trust you in this sadness. And sometimes I, you know, when I would say like, God, I don't like this, I could almost hear God saying that, like, yeah, I know. And that's it. Like, it, it, it it's, and learning that like, I'm not going to die because I feel sad, I, you know, has been a really significant, um, what else do I want to talk about? It's very strange talking out into the ether, by the way. <laughs> I just want to say that. Um, what else? You know, I guess in terms of step three, right, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. You know, there's a willingness that's required there. You know, I need to be honest in my step one that I am a compulsive overeater. I honestly can't control my food, you know. And I need to be open um, 
when I'm coming to believe in a power greater than myself, that maybe, just maybe, there's something out there. And willing, right? Um, I need to be willing in step three. Uh, you know, it's important for me to see through step three how I've been running my life on self-will and it hasn't been going that great. So if I believe in a God, something, if I believe that there is God, step two, right? And then, and then I must believe that I am not God. <laughs> And if God is God, and if I am not God, what follows from that? So it has to be this willingness to turn my life over to the care of the actual God um, and not continue playing God, which hasn't worked. And this has really evolved over time, you know, because every day I show up human and every day, you know, every moment I can find things that I want to keep turning over to God and... uh and finding new ways to live my life under God's care. And, you know, so it's so strange to me that today my life's work is seeking God. I never, ever would have thought that I, I had no interest in God and I had no interest in seeking God. Um, but I realize now that I've always been seeking God. I've always been looking for something to fill what God is meant to fill. Um, I was trying to like fill this void in my life because I didn't have God. I was playing God or making other things or other people my God. Um, and I, you know, reflecting back, I realized I was so afraid of abandonment that I would do anything to keep people with me, to control situations or outcomes, because I needed you. And now with God, I know God will never abandon me, and God will not reject me, and that God is enough. And there's so much freedom in that and peace in that. Um, and in fact, it's often I who reject God. You know, I replace God with other things. I seek my value in others. I seek to have my needs met in others or in other situations. Um, and, and God will not reject me and God will not abandon me. And the big book says that God will not make or does not make too hard a terms with those who seek him. And, and all I have to do is seek and there is such peace in that. Um, and God doesn't answer my questions the way I demand that God does. <laughs> and I, and uh, and I don't like that. I still don't like that, you know. Um, and I complain to God. I'm like, God, yes or no, black or white. Like, answer me, answer me, God. And I and I can say it now in a joking way because I can see, you know, the self, the me in all of that, and and my unreasonable expectations that God is going to like hand me a checklist. Like, no, Katie, you give yourself that checklist. Like, God's not going to give me the to-do list, and God's not going, well, for me, you know, I think it's great if that happens to other people. I, I wish that God would come down to me in a booming voice, you know, at all moments and tell me what to do. <laughs> um, and that's been a growing up process, too, being uncomfortable with when I seek God, I seek God, but if I want to have, and if I want to have the peace that comes with seeking God, there's the humility in knowing that it's going to be on God's terms, not mine. And um, and just knowing that God is there um, and trusting 
and not getting back a booming voice with an answer um, and being and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable about that. I want an answer. I want comfort. I want to know. I want what I want when I want it. I have, I was, that was me and my disease and that's me now a lot of the times, you know? And, um, and seeking God on God's terms, even though his terms aren't hard, right? The terms are that God is God. <laughs> that's the term that I have to come to terms with and then I will have the peace from that. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, and, you know, I, I always thought after anything to make myself feel better. You know, I thought I was entitled to feel good. I, I, I never learned that I was not put on this earth to feel good 100% of the time. You know, any disturbance, no matter how slight, had to be numbed out or ameliorated in some way instantly. Um, I was always seeking like a quick fix for my weight or a new therapist or a life coach or a food plan or a diet. Um, and again, you know, in my, in my youth, the right friends, the right boyfriend, the right substance, in an effort to fill this void, this indescribable void that made me not okay and always seeking the thing out in the world that would make me okay. And I, I have this other memory. Um, I was, I was a young woman. And I, another boyfriend had dumped me. And I remember, I have this memory, this is many, many years ago. And I remember crying to my friends, why am I so unlovable? I remember saying those words. Well, and of course, because they were my friends and they reminded me of it <laughs> for a long time after. You know, why am I so unlovable? But I still remember it to this day because, like, it really encapsulated how I felt for so long. Like, there was something wrong with me, you know, and all I wanted was to be loved and to make myself good enough to be loved. Um, and really, that was just the other side of the selfish coin, right? Like, I didn't have high self-esteem, but it was really still all about me. Self-pity, low self-esteem, was still focusing on myself, caring what others thought about me. Like, I was still at the center. I was still me-centered. Um, and I was always selfish, you know, comparing myself, judging others. And even when I meant well, you know, if I could only convince this person that I love or care about them, if they would do X, you know, um, if they would do what I think is, is best and, you know, that would make them happy and, and that would make me happy. Like even when it was all about helping other people, it was still all about me. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's, it's not because I'm a bad person, right? It's just that I never grew up in that sense of the word. Um, the 12 steps have helped me to start this growing up pro process by leveling my self-pride, you know, smashing my delusions, deflating my ego. Um, and those are all things that needed to be done if I wanted any chance at real living and true contentedness, you know. And back to that unlovable comment that I always like sort of carried with me. Like I was seeking love. But, you know, like that song says, right, like in all the wrong places, like God is love and God is the answer. Um, and God is enough, and and God will comfort me. And um, I I 
until I realized that I was, I kept just, you know, sort of like seeking it elsewhere. And now that I have found it in God, whew, um, there's so much freedom there. Um, God is the hero of my story. You know, God rescued me. I was pulled out of this by God. Um, and really all it, it started with was a willingness um, to seek God. <sighs> you know, another term I had, I've heard in the rooms of OA was uh, the God-sized hole. And I think, and I remember that one stuck with me too when I heard it. I was like, the what? <laughs> but... um but it's it's all sort of the same thing, right? Like if I picture this hole in my soul that I've been just sort of like like sucking things into to try to like fill this void, you know? Um, and once it's satisfied with God, I don't have the void and I don't have to keep seeking other things to fulfill me. Um, and I... I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that I am some, like, I don't know that I have. <laughs> I don't want anybody to, to, I don't want it to seem like I'm some, like, spiritually zen, you know, really plugged in 24-7 to God kind of person who, like, floats on a cloud. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that I've conveyed that, but I don't want anybody to be left with that. Like, I wake up human every day, and I have lots of, like, anxieties around things and preoccupations around things um you know the big book says that our troubles are of our own making and that is still true to this day as you know as recently as this morning you know this is true um i have met the enemy and it is i <laughs> but um but now i can just say god in those moments of dis-ease I don't have to say more than that you know it's about getting right-sized for me it's uh, remembering that there is God and I am not God and and when I say God in those moments you know even if I don't have more words for a prayer you know if I don't have anything more than just saying God, you know, that's enough. Because when I know that I'm not God and that there is God, the miracle is my mind can be quiet for those moments. I can lean in to know that I don't have to have all the answers. I, I don't have to solve all the problems. Um, and I'll end with this because I think my time is coming down to the end. But like, you know, lately I'll share that I haven't been feeling that plugged into God in the sense that like sometimes I feel like I'm really able to discern things that God is telling me and sometimes I don't. Um, but even in those moments when I don't feel like 100% like plugged into God, I still know that God is there. Um, and I know God is always working, and I know that I am proof, along with so many other fellows, 
uh, in this program that I am a walking miracle uh, living in recovery thanks to God. Um, and, you know, even when I don't feel that plugged into God, that's another opportunity for surrender. You know, I can surrender my expectations of what my relationship with God is supposed to be to God. Um, and I can let that go to um, let go of my expectations of, of others, let go of my expectations of God, which still show up all the time, and just lean into God and, and know that God is there. And sometimes that's all I need. Actually, all that's always all I need, right? I know that there is God, period, you know? And um, I think I'm going to end. I had a million other things I wanted to talk about, but um, I just feel really grateful to have had this opportunity. Um, and that's it. Thanks for letting me share. Oh, thanks, Katie B. I appreciate your presentation. Such a gift to our fellowship today. And uh, I really loved how you were able to weave humor and the seriousness of this disease and the hope of the spiritual solution. So thank you, Katie. We're going to transition to uh, questions and answers for Katie. Before we do that, um, before I take some names for, for questions for Katie, let me give you the share ID for, for her presentation this morning. And I'll give it again later. The share ID is 20,000. 671. That's 20671. Let's make a transition for the Q&A portion of the presentation. We go to the top of the hour or sooner, but um, definitely the top of the hour. Um, so if you have a question for Katie, press star one and give me your first name and last initial and we'll, uh, we'll take a lineup. Who has a question for Katie? Christina J. Christina? Melissa C. And Melissa. Daria F. Daria? Daria, yes. Daria, okay. Thanks, Daria. Who else? Anybody else? We can get you on Elaine the other F. end, too. Elaine? Okay. So we got Christina, Melissa, Daria, and Elaine. Anybody else this first go around? Okay. All right, Katie, here we go. We're going to get ready. So we got Christina followed by Melissa. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Katie, for your share. Um, beautiful. Turning my will and life over to the care guys, I understand him. Um, what I've come to realize in this last round of recovery after being in relapse uh, since October, and then before that having almost three years, and then before that relapsing and relapsing, is that my will and my life must be turned over, and I must cultivate a deep, deep relationship with what I consider my higher power. And now that I know what it is, because I've been in program long enough, and I cherish it, I mean, I, I actually know what my high power is and what what he does for me. The food can't, I've got to cultivate the relationship, or eventually I'm going to get back into the food. I mean, that's just the bottom line for me. And I phone calls are great, and they awaken things in me, but so what is your opinion, and, well, not opinion, but what is your experience with <clears throat> 
relapsing and realizing that is it steps one, two, and three for you that were the problem? You know, there's no plan B in step A, you know, uh, on step one. So just your experience on, I didn't come in early enough to know if you went into relapse, but did you, did you realize that it was a one, two, three issue? First of all, knowing you're powerless and then knowing you absolutely have to cultivate that walk with God or you don't have a chance in hell. Thank you for letting me share and ask that question. Thanks for the question, Christina. Um, so first I want to say that I don't know that I, I, well, I don't, okay. So in terms of relapsing, this experience for the past four years is the first time that I have considered myself to be recovered from compulsive overeating. And in that four years, I, you know, I have maintained my abstinence. You know, again, I don't take the credit for that, but I've maintained um, entire abstinence and I've continued to work in the 12 steps and follow all the 12 steps, um, including just throwing that in there, step 12, you know, working with others. <clears throat> anyway, um, I think, though, for the many, 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 many years before that, when I did try OA and it didn't work for me, um, <clears throat> first of all, I wasn't reading the big book. I occasionally would pick it up, but I didn't, I didn't understand or I wasn't willing to um, embrace the big book, to read the big book. Um, I didn't like the big book. I didn't like the way it read. I didn't like Bill. I didn't like, I thought, you know, I didn't, there were a lot of things that I sort of had a prejudice about and um, intolerance for. So just putting that out there as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think my issue was, well, first of all, I just wasn't ready till I was ready. I don't want to oversimplify it, but on some levels that was my, what was going on. But, uh, but I really think it was a step one problem for me. I really, I didn't understand the doctor's opinion. And I kept thinking that my goal was moderation. I kept thinking, you were all crazy. <laughs> and I was going to be the one to beat the system. And I was going to get skinny and then be able to eat a slice of my birthday cake every year because that's what normal people did. Um <clears throat> So I think for me, I really had to understand the allergy. I really had to embrace the doctor's opinion um, for me to be able to take the rest of the steps uh, as outlined in the book. Um, so that was my experience. Um, certainly, like, so I, I don't, I don't want to say that other people's, you know, I, I can't comment on other people's. Uh, relapses or, or picking up, but for me, it really started with that. And I guess also as I'm talking about it, there was definitely a step two and three issue there because I wasn't willing to think that I needed God. I kept just trying to figure it out on my own. It was always my self-will. Uh, you know, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to figure this out. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it was all of those things, but it definitely started with... Um, knowing that there are things that I cannot safely eat if I want to be in recovery. Um, and I'm really sorry, it's going to be a long answer. Somebody shared, there's a story in the back of the big book. I don't know the name of the story, 
but it's about this person that goes into their first OA meeting and realizes that all their life they've been trying to live as an apple, but they're really an orange, which I think is funny because we're compulsive readers and it's a food analogy, but also because, um, you know, my whole life I wanted to be an apple and I was never going to be a successful apple because I'm an orange. I'm a compulsive overeater and there are certain things I can't safely eat. And once I realized that I was an orange, I could live my best orange life and I could live a fully satisfied, wonderful life as an orange. So um, all that to say that I, I really had to understand the doctor's opinion if I was gonna have a shot at this. Um, so that's sort of my long-winded answer. I, I don't know if it helped, Christina, but thanks for your question. Thanks, Christina. Okay, Melissa, now that parent-teacher conferences are over for another month, what, what <laughs> questions do you have for, for Katie? Good morning. Did, did we lose you? Or is that my phone? Well, I can't hear Melissa either. Oh, there can she you is. Hear me now? Can you hear there me now? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was laughing away. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thanks for uh, your awesome moderating this morning and leadership, Larry. And Katie, it was real. It's really good to hear you. Um, you know, I just have like a wonderfully soft spot, you know, in my heart for you. And um, so I, when you spoke about that uh, experience on the bus, where you like were just looking at all these people fatter than her, thinner than her. I totally got that, and I have definitely experienced that. And I'm just wondering, you know, because I would sit in meetings and look at other women's thighs, and that, you know, and just that would be the whole meeting of me looking at everyone's thighs, trying to figure out where I fit. But I've noticed, you know, that it doesn't. I'm curious in your experience, like, has that shifted to other areas because I can have that same mindset like professionally I can look at other people or I can look at other people's great vacations that that measuring myself up against others and I'm just wondering um you know how how have you utilized the steps and and um to sort of rid yourself or have you you know rid yourself of that um comparison kind of experience and uh, thanks I'll pass Thank you, Melissa, and I'm sending you so much love right now, and it's nice to hear you. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, first, in terms of the comparisons with body and what I looked like, what a miracle. It's just, like, taken from me. I don't know if that's other people's experiences, but, like, I just don't, not that I don't care what I look like. I'm not always like in the mirror, like looking at my stomach or looking at my thighs or what do they look like? Like, I don't know. I can't believe there's ever, like, that was my whole life <laughs> for so long. And that has been just like excise. I don't know. God like took it and removed it. And I'm incredibly grateful, especially in this world where there's so many messages about, you know, what we look like being so important. I, I'm very grateful that I'm, I'm not experiencing that for today. But in terms of shifting to other areas, yes. Um, I'm trying to think of how to, so yes. And, and not just, com yeah, no, no, actually, yes. Comparing myself against others is something that I absolutely still find happening. Um, 
and just seeking validation from others. I'll share with you this. I don't know if this is uh, relevant. I'm going to try to do this quickly. But so I had uh, something at work recently that I did, and I did it in front of other people. And it was something that was very nerve-wracking, and I had spent a lot of time preparing for it. And um, it, was, it was something that is out of my comfort zone for what I normally do on a daily basis at work. And afterward, and it went well, and I was very God-centered in that. You know, I, in, through my anxiety, I kept going back to God and asking God to guide me and all this stuff. And I, and I, and I feel like I did that in like a recovered way. And as I, as I left that day, and I text, I sent text messages to a handful of the people that were there that day. And I did it. And I, I don't know if I knew I was doing it or if I was subconsciously doing it, but I sent them these, like, casual, like, hi text messages. But what I was really looking for <laughs> was for them to comment back to me about the job I did. And I wasn't just like brave enough or brazen or whatever enough to just be like, hey, how do you think I did? But I was still sort of like this like manipulative kind of way, like wanting to subtly get their opinion of me back in this like dishonest way. Oh, just saying hi when I, that's not what I was doing. Um, and I wanted, I was seeking their approval. I was going outside of God, um, and I wanted something from them. And interestingly enough, the thing that I was doing for work, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't put it in the competition category, but it was definitely me and others that were engaged in this. And I wanted them, my friends, me, coworkers, to tell me that I not only did a great job, but that I did a better job than the other people. So I, I absolutely felt that um, pull, right? And I don't beat myself up over it because I'm a human, right? And humans do things like this. But I'm so grateful that I could see it. Um, so the, so the short answer is yes, I absolutely still find ways to be judgmental or be self-seeking or compare myself like, yes. Um, but it's, you know, when I, when I felt it, first of all, I felt it within like 10 minutes. It didn't, it felt icky. It felt icky right at the moment that I was like texting these people. I knew something was off. And now, thank you, God, I have a program for that. Like I felt this yuck and I knew it. And right away I was able to go to God with it. God, here I am being human. I am seeking validation in other people other than you. I am being judgmental. I am sitting in the position of God judging others. I, you know, all of the stuff that like, I used to do with like food or body weight or diets. I would, I still found myself doing, or, you know, body image. I, I can, I still do it. Right. Um, but I was able to go to God with it, with humility and just feel like, God, let me just not, let me stop. I was able to stop um, and pray about it and see my role in it, my, my defects, right? Um, I'm being selfish. I'm being self-seeking. I'm being dishonest. Like all of this stuff still comes up. Um, but the miracle today is, generally speaking, I see it a whole lot faster. 
um, I have a way to deal with it. I can call fellows and program also, you know, a way to like clear out that sludge that makes me feel icky and starts to block me from God. Um, and miracle of miracles, I don't have to eat over it, right? I mean, like, so, so that's sort of the answer is yes, I show up human every day. <laughs> and, uh, and now I have uh, my steps, the program to deal with it. So I hope that answers the question. Another long winded answer. Thanks, Melissa. Not at all. Thanks, Melissa. Okay, Daria, you're stuck up to the mic. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your service. And Katie, what a relevant for me and really insightful share. Thank you. Uh, Melissa asked my question and you answered it. <laughs> and the only thing that I would uh, kind of add to that is your share about the apples and oranges was, again, just spot on for me. You know, when I looked at myself in a picture, it's like, she's thinner, she's thinner, she's thinner. And, and, then, and then it occurred to me just now that I'm the orange. They're the apples. I'm not going to be. <laughs> I'm not them. I don't have their genetics. And it's just, you know, it's very heartening. So thank you so much. I pass. Oh, thank you, Daria. Yeah, thanks, Daria. Okay, Elaine, it's your turn. Then we'll we'll open it up and see if there's more questions for Katie. Hey, Elaine, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. Oh, wonderful. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Larry and Katie. Um, just really inspiring. Just really what I need to hear. And just I have I have two questions, but I just want to make a quick comment, which is. I went through a lot of the body image issues that you talked about, and there's an incredible workshop that's done every year on body image at the OA birthday party that has really transformed my image of my body and my acceptance. And uh, I realized, uh, you know, about two weeks, a month later, how much I was affected by that workshop. So I want to encourage people, if you're planning to go to the OA birthday party, go to that workshop. And um, so my, my question to you, um, what, is, what is your experience with sending your food in advance to a sponsor? Do you commit your food in advance? Do you send a nightly review? And also, can you please share how you do your 10 steps? That's it. Thank you. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Elaine. Um, I'm just opening it up to step 10. Okay. So in terms of sending my food in advance, and this is me, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, it's not in the big book, so I don't want to like speak for OA or, you know, anything like that. I, but I, I will share that I sent my food to my sponsor for a very long time. Um, and I did that because she told me to. <laughs> and also, um, I did it because I needed to be honest, um, and and I wanted the noise out of my head. So I found a lot of value in committing my food the night before, so that my disease didn't get to go in my ear and be like, "What are you going to eat tomorrow? What are you going to do this? What are we going to do?" You know, all the opportunities for disease to sneak in and start to start up the chatter in my mind. Um, so I did that, and if I was going to change anything, I, I didn't until I let my sponsor know and spoke to my sponsor. And again, um, it doesn't say that in the big book, you know, but it, um, I did it for the, now I see I did it, I was doing it because um, 
I don't want to give my disease an opportunity to sneak in there and I need to be honest um, and, and sort of shut that sound down, shut that voice down. Um, in terms of, uh, <clears throat> and so yeah, and I, I don't at this point commit my food to, I, I commit my food to God now, but again, I don't want to make that seem like that's the answer. That's, that's what my sponsor and I discussed and agreed on. Um, but there are absolutely still times when stuff comes up that I reach out to my sponsor about with food. Um, because, I, you know, I am a compulsive overeater. And I need to remember that every day. <laughs> and actually, I start my, my morning prayers with that every day. You know, like today I wake up a compulsive overeater, um, not in a defeated way, but in an orange way, right? Because this is what I am. Um, and this is my program, you know, to, to work with that. Um, and in terms of 10 steps, you know, that's always sort of evolving for me too. Like as long as I'm following um, the directions, I'm just looking, I want to look really quickly look at 84. Um, so as long as I'm following the directions in the big book with regards to step 10, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it other than to do it the way they say in the book. And so what I mean by that is there have been times when I have um, sat down and written them out of, you know, written them out, um, made phone calls, not made phone calls. Um, what I have found now in terms of step 10 um, is just like the book says, you know, first of all, my selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear crops up all the time. Um, all the time, all the time. And when I feel it, when I feel that, ugh, I now go straight to God with it. Um, I go straight to God with it. And I, and, and oftentimes I find that God will help me with it and it will kind of loosen up or, um, be removed. Um, when I'm feeling more stuck, uh, certainly when I owe an amends if I've harmed anybody or when that ick is still there after going to God with it, then I will reach out and talk about it with others. Um, and, and then, you know, as it continues and, and try to get outside of myself too. So I don't know if that answers the question other than I follow the directions um, in the book about step 10. Um, I, I find myself doing them so often throughout the day. Honestly, I don't even recognize their step tens anymore. They're just seeking God. They're my relationship with God is God, get me out of here and get you in here. You know, all that, all the times I feel that ick, like I was just talking about with the last thing about, you know, self-seeking or comparing myself or trying to control outcomes or having unrealistic expectations or just being human all the time. Um, uh, the gift, a gift from God is now and from this program and from learning from fellows is I can sense it now and then I can work my program around it. So I don't know if that answers your question, Elaine. It certainly does. Thank you so much, Katie. Sure, no problem. Thanks, thanks for the Elaine. question. Yeah, thanks, Elaine. Okay, we've got time for if there's more questions for Katie. Um, just press uh, star one to unmute your phone and give me your first name and last initial. Who has a question? Susan, 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 Sus
Freya H. Freya. Okay, Susan Margaret Sue Freya. Did I miss somebody? Going once, going twice. Okay, so we have Susan Margaret Sue and Freya. Let's start with a, a question from Susan. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so my question is this. Um, how do you forgive yourself for mistakes made in the past? And specifically what I'm dealing with is my late husband and I were, were pretty inept when it came to finances. And uh, now my, my uh, adult daughter is in the process of buying a business, and she needs a down payment. I can help her somewhat, but I can't help her completely. And I just feel, and she works like a dog. She's, she, she has so much on her. And I just, you know, I can't, uh, I've done a 10 step over it. I just can't forgive myself for not being able to make life more easy for her. And I would have been able to if I just had more financial resources. So uh, how, do you, how do you deal with a situation like that? Well, thank you for the question, Susan. I mean, I guess what I would say about forgiving myself or anything that I'm still feeling like a rub around. Um, well, number one, I would say it's an opportunity to learn and to grow, right? We shall not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. So there's something there that I can learn from and bring forward. And the other thing that sometimes I have done if a 10th step isn't working, I did this maybe a year into my recovery. And then I think I did it again, another year into my recovery around my mom. Um, I called it like a mini force. <laughs> it's not in the book, but you know, but basically I really went back and I read again through step four, you know, I'm looking at it now, 64, 65 on and on, you know, through, um, through how to do the fourth step. And I would rework the step in a more rigorous way than I, than I had on my 10th step because the 10th, like I, I think I heard you say, um, around a couple of issues, the 10th step kept coming up. Like it just, it was still there, it was still there, it was still there. And how many 10th steps can I do on this? So I, I sort of, called it like a mini force and or like a deep dive tense. I doesn't I don't know what you call it, but I went back through and I read um sixty four and onward because it really um was the rub was still there. The feeling was still there and I, I really needed to uh the help of of doing like the, a true like fourth step around it to dissect it. Um because if it if it keeps coming up and it if it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up, um, then then maybe I need to look at it another in another way. Um, so I, I I definitely can't speak to <clears throat> your specific situation, or I won't you know I wouldn't want to speak to your specific situation about your feelings. But there are absolutely things in my life that I struggled with in terms of forgiving myself um, or getting over those things. And I, I found it helpful to really go through it again, like they said in the big book on step four, um, 
and and maybe look at it a different way in terms of like like for my circumstance I'm thinking of one thing in particular right like there's a dishonesty around me judging myself back then um for for the for the consequences and you know through the lens of what I know now so in terms of dishonesty, that was a big one for me. Um, dishonesty that, like, if I had known better than, like, or if I was capable of doing better than, um, I, I would have, but, but, I, but I wasn't and I didn't, you know, and sort of looking at it in that way or re taking another look about uh, at my fears around the circumstances now, um, I, I would, I mean, that's what I would do if something keeps coming up and maybe talk about it with different fellows, re rewrite it out. I'm happy to do it with you, you know, but, um, but if, if it keeps coming up, then I would do a deep dive into it. And that's how I would do it. A deep dive tenth or a mini fourth or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. It's very helpful. Appreciate it. Okay, sure. Thanks, Susan. Okay, good morning, Margaret. Followed by Sue. Hey, Margaret, good morning. Okay, Mary, good morning. <laughs> hey, Katie, good morning. First of all, um, good morning. I got your spiritual email in my head about how, you know, did you do this better than in? I will be grateful to you till the day I die. It, it's been so right on and I can identify you, you, you did tell my story period zip you, it, it was wonderful so the question is how do you do your 11th step in the morning at night um, just you know a general um, question about it and then are you familiar with two way prayer and does that enter into your life at all um, do you have any experience with that? Uh, yes. Thanks. Well, thank you, Margaret. Thanks very much, and thank you for the question. Um, so my 11th step, again, like, I do it the way the book says, and not to sound like, you know, really, do the way the book says, but I do. <laughs> I do it the way the book says, and it evolves. As long as I'm following the directions in the book, uh, to the best of my ability, not perfectly, but to the best of my ability, um, I, I can trust that I'm doing it, you know, the right way. And so my 11th um, step has evolved and continues to, and I, and I hope it will, uh, you know, throughout my recovery journey. Um, you know, and what I mean by that is sharing it, not sharing it, writing it, saying it, like all different ways to kind of do the work of seeking God, right, and leaning into God. So I'll say that I love, love that the 11th step starts on page 86 with at night. And the reason I want to say that is because I always used to think I would wake up in the morning and I would start my day right. It had to be a perfect morning. And if I messed up at all, you know, usually around dieting, you know, at that time, then screw it. The day was over. The day was ruined. And I'm, I'll start again tomorrow. Um, and so I love it. It's very meaningful to me that the, that the uh, 11th step starts with when we retire at night, because when I would ruin a day, you know, by picking up or whatever, I wouldn't think for the right, I, that's it, the day is done. I'm shutting down my brain, I'm numbing out. And I think it's such a gift to start at night. 
and know that there's never a wrong time to to start up with God, right? I love that. Um, and so the way I do my 11th step right now is I, I do it, sometimes I do it while I'm brushing my teeth. Sometimes, I mean, there's no defined way I do it right now. There have been times when I've really written it out or used an app or all sorts of things. Um, right now, I just prayerfully do it as I'm getting into bed. I'm not a night person. I'm a morning person. I feel really exhausted at night. And um, so I do it. I follow the, the outline in the book. I ask the questions and I answer the questions in the book um, and, and I, and I go to bed and I go to bed easy, you know, which is a, such a gift. You know, I just, I'm able to just drift off to sleep. Um, the morning is more concrete for me, you know, and again, I've, it's evolved. I, I had a written out set of prayers. I sometimes crack that back open and I, and I use that. Sometimes I write, sometimes I talk. Sometimes I quietly pray. Like, again, I don't think it's, there's a wrong way to do it as long as I'm following these directions. Um, I love a good to-do list, so I love to give God my to-do list in the morning. Um, and then I ask, you know, God, please, this is, these are my plans, God. Um, well, first I always start, I still not always, but I like to start with the day. Like, God, today is September 24th, 2023, and I am a compulsive reader today. You know, like, right now. And, God, without you, my life would be unmanageable, um, and I would be insane. And, God, right now, I am deciding to turn my will and my life over to your care. And, and what does that mean for today? And then it changes based on what the day is. But, like I said, I give God my to-do list, and then I say, God, this is my to-do list. This is what I would like to do. Please take this list <laughs> and please let me give you this list and please let me seek you throughout the entire day and let my will align with your will for me. Let, you know, let, let your plans be my plans. You know, let me have the ability to, dis to discern what it is that you would have me do. Because, you know, again, God does not hand me a to-do list. I hand me a to-do list. And, um, so that's sort of, and then it, again, it varies. Like sometimes I say certain prayers. Sometimes I write out letters to God. Like I, I, I kind of, like, I like to keep it kind of interesting. There are times when I would do it the same way for six months, and then I would change it up. Um, as long as I'm doing what this book says, um, I, I think I'm doing it right. Um, and in terms of two-way prayer, um, I have heard of two-way prayer. I've, you know, I'm, I've, tried two-way prayer, I kind of see my whole life as a two-way prayer with God, you know, like not the way that they say to do it in this one particular um, method, but like in the morning when I give God my 24-hour plan, then I, I quietly ask God, God, what's your 24-hour plan? And I want to listen for God, you know, and I, you know, I, I think that my, my goal in life is to have a constant back and forth with God. Not back and forth like a fight, but, you know, I give this to you, God, and I seek, and I seek you, God. Um, so, so that's sort of what I would say. And I've had times when I've written out what, you know, a letter to God and have God written me back what I think. You know, it varies, but I, I think there's no way, no wrong way to do it as long as I'm seeking God at all, at all times. I hope that helps, Margaret. 
Katie, you make my heart glow. Oh, <laughs> thank you. That's lovely. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Margaret. Okay, we'll see if we can get in the last two questions here. We have Sue filed by Freya. Sue, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. And Katie, this, this is fantastic. One thing that came across for me was just your joy, your lightheartedness, and your ability to laugh at yourself. And I, I just think we need that in the world to survive the world. I'm curious, um, is this just the natural part of your personality or is it one of the gifts of recovery for you? Thank you. Um, thanks, Sue. Do you, do you mean the joy part of it or the ability to, the, the self-deprecating? <laughs> I just think, <laughs> Just being lighthearted and not taking yourself so seriously. <laughs> um, I, I think there's always been an element of that in me, um, but I think it was more like this self-hatred kind of thing. Like I could always joke about myself to my own, like at my own expense and kind of like in a way that I really didn't like myself. And I, I, you know, I haven't really thought about this until you asked this question, but I do think that it has transitioned from like this, like, ugh, I hate myself and I can make a joke about it, but boy, do I hate myself to uh, the joy of, of from God and of recovery that I can still, you know, make a joke at my own expense or, or not take myself so seriously. But I, I, I thank you for mentioning that because I realize like I, I do it now, not in a way to like, um, just sort of pile on myself, but in a way that's more like socially appropriate than just standing around telling people I hate myself, you know, making a joke about it. It has transitioned, um, that word change, Larry, um, thank God, uh, because of recovery. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think I, um, I, I do, I do feel a lot of joy, um, I do. So I don't know if that answers the question, Sue. But yeah, I think that's all God. That's all God that did that. Yeah, thanks, Sue. Okay, Freya, are you used to a drum roll for the last question? Hi, Freya. Good morning. Good morning. This is Freya H. in Colorado. Thank you so much, Katie, for that really beautiful presentation. And I love the topic of seeking God and and so my question is around this, that as an addict, I can, I, I can be searching for that elusive sensation of like what's going to hit the spot, what's going to be the answer. And it can be in food and it can be in accomplishments and it can be in, you know, body size or, you know, a, a variety of ways. And I think I can do the same thing with seeking God. Like, oh, if I just find God, that's going to be it. You know, like I do it kind of like as an addict, thinking that God's going to somehow you know, be that fix for me. And, um, and my experience has been that God doesn't really work that way, that it, it's a, it's a different experience. So I'm curious if you can comment on that, like, what is it to seek God? Is it really about finding God or is it more about seeking? And, um, I don't know, some, something along those lines, if you have a experience to share, I'd love to hear it. Thank you. Sure, um, and I'm just being mindful of our time, Larry. Also, but um, so, okay. So yeah, I get that, and I right the seeking. I don't want it to to make it sound like seeking is like this endless 
like unquenchable thirst, right? Like I, that's never satisfied um, in, in that way. Um, and certainly, um, and nor is there this like pure satisfaction in finding. <laughs> like there's this nuance. I don't know how to explain it exactly. But for me, you know, seeking God is just getting out of me and my head, which can be like, like this like whirlwind of self, right? And um and just knowing, I guess, the seeking for me is seeking and, and God I believe is outside and inside and everywhere, right? But just out of my own brain, getting out of my own brain and leaning in and knowing just just knowing that God is there and and I can trust God and I my my life's work is to try to continue to deepen my trust of God and like that's the seeking is just knowing God is there and and knowing that I don't have to have all the answers other than knowing that God is the answer I don't know if that's like a a good enough answer, but that's sort of what I would say. It's it's not black and white, it's not concrete, um, but it really is liberating to just pause and 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 lean into God in those moments when I'm way too into myself. So that's how I would answer that, Freya. Thanks, Freya. And that's that's gonna that's gonna be a wrap here. And oh my gosh, Katie, thank you so much. Just a, a terrific Terrific, uh, generous um, use of your time, and we, we so appreciate that. And so we're going to close. Let me give you the share ID again for Katie's presentation. That number is 20,671. That's 20671. So we are going to uh, uh, graciously ask for Katie's contact information, but I'm going to close first from um, in a chapter called A Vision for You on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. <clears throat> Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you 